Amen. Praise the Lord. I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to uh, two openings tonight, Ephesians chapter 6 and uh, Mark chapter 11. We're teaching a series uh, that we've entitled The Prayers of the Church, and uh, we're using Ephesians 6.18 for a text scripture, a beginning point for this series, which says, Paul said, inspired by the Holy Ghost, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, other translations say it a little bit differently. One translation says praying with all kinds of prayer. Another translation says all manner of prayer. Well, you could well understand just by the King James that that it's got to be talking about different kinds of prayer. Because if uh, if it were not the case, then Paul would have just said praying praying and making supplication in the the spirit for uh, all saints. So he's got to be talking about different kinds of prayer. Now... Some uh, have said, well, prayer is prayer, isn't it? And the answer to that is, yeah, it is. Prayer is prayer. But in the same way, sports is sports. But you don't play all sports by the same rules. And in the same manner, according to the same principle, you don't pray all prayers with the same kind of rules. And what's happened in the church, and it seems to me, is that uh, people have tried to, to use the rules that govern one type of prayer, praying a different kind of prayer, and, uh, and they don't get results, and so they lose, uh, lose confidence in their ability to pray or God's willingness to hear them or whatever the case might be. So we're talking about the different kinds of prayer. We've uh, covered the prayer of uh, consecration. We've covered the prayer of commitment. And last week we started with uh, the prayer of faith. And uh, tonight is the prayer of faith part two. Uh, there's some other things that we want to say about it. A lot of times uh, in, in churches like ours, those uh, churches that are considered by some to be word of faith churches or whatever you want to call us, I don't, I don't really care. The name doesn't mean anything to me. But um, a lot of times there's such an emphasis placed on faith, the subject of faith, and therefore the prayer of faith. Some people come away thinking that that's the only kind of prayer there is, but it's not. And sometimes you c- cannot use the rules that govern the prayer of faith for other types of prayer if you're going to be effective. Now, obviously, the Holy Ghost wants you to be effective in prayer because he's telling you about what to do and how to do it. Here's the Holy Ghost inspiring Paul, who just told the church, just wrote to the church and said, put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Goes through all the different pieces of the armor and says, now, here's what it's for. Verse 18, praying. So really, the armor of God is prayer armor. That's not the only place that it comes in handy, but that's one place that you're supposed to use it. And every part of the, the armor of God has to do with the knowledge of who you are in Christ, or what's been done for you by the the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, praying always with all kinds or manner of prayer. Now turn with me over to to, uh, Mark chapter 11. Really to get the most out of what we're going to say tonight, you really should have heard what we said last Wednesday night, because we can't go over everything that we said. If we did that, we wouldn't be able to get anywhere tonight. But, uh, But we will recap just a little bit. Notice that Jesus, in Mark chapter 11, has cursed the fig tree... The day before this uh, event that we're going to read about, or the, the words of Jesus, he has come to a fig tree, the time of the figs, uh, it's, well, it's got green leaves on it, which means that the fig tree should have figs on it, but he finds out that it's not bearing fruit. It's only green leaves. In other words, it looks good, but there's no fruit. I think that's the way it is with a lot of Christians. They look good, but they don't bear fruit. I'm certain that that's the way that it is with a lot of things in this world. The devil makes it look good, but there's no fruit. There's nothing of eternal value to it. So Jesus curses it. He said, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever and goes his way. Next morning they come by that same tree and the disciples looked and saw that the tree was dried up from the roots. Now you know as well as I do that if Jesus had taken a chainsaw the day before to the tree instead of cursed it, there would still be green leaves on it. 
But the fact that it's dried up from the roots, meaning that it looks dead, looks like it's been dead for a long time, was an indication to the disciples that some miraculous supernatural event has taken place. So the disciples called his attention to it and notice what Jesus said. Verse 22, Mark chapter 11, verse 22, Jesus answering said unto them, have faith in God. Can I, um, can I stop here for a minute and point something else out to you? Look back at verse 14 when Jesus speaks to the tree. Jesus comes to the tree. It should have fruit, but it doesn't. And notice in verse 14, it said, and Jesus answered and said. Do you see that? Jesus answered and said, Jesus answered circumstances. In other words, and, and the, the translation is exactly right here. You look these words up and it means exactly what it says. Exactly the way it's translated into the English. Jesus recognized that circumstances communicate. Jesus recognized that the things that he faced in life, just like the things that you and I face in life, communicate to you. The question is, what do you communicate in response? Jesus' response was that God didn't make anything to be unfruitful. Therefore, no man any fruit of thee hereafter forever. You need to keep that in mind. Because if we're going to be followers of Jesus, and Jesus is going to show us exactly how he did what he did and tell us that we should do it too, then we need to answer the circumstances that, that we face in life. I think too many times people see circumstances and they start praying about them. Jesus didn't pray about this circumstance. Jesus spoke to it. He didn't pray about the tree. Now, Father, you know how hungry I am. Here I am, your son, doing your work here on the earth. It's not fair that a tree not produce for me. Yet that's exactly the thing that many Christians do. They take their complaints to God instead of speaking to the circumstance. So Jesus speaks to his circumstances. The disciples call it to his attention the next day because something has clearly happened. A miraculous result has occurred. Jesus answering them, the disciples, and said, have faith in God. Another translation says, have the faith of God. Well, the faith of God would be the God kind of faith, wouldn't it? Now, notice Jesus did not say, I'm the son of God, so I have the faith of God. The understood subject is you. So if Jesus is telling them in this manner to have something that we can't have, then he's a deceiver. I don't believe he is. Do you? Jesus is telling them they can do the same thing. He's saying, here's how it works. Have faith in God. You have this kind of faith. Well, what kind of faith is it? Verse 23. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe. Well, if he's talking about not doubting in his heart, must be talking about believing in his heart. Believing in his heart that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, you may wonder, what are you talking about verse 23 for? Because it's not talking about prayer. It's talking about the operation or the principle of faith. But verse 24 is talking about prayer. Jesus says, here's how faith works in verse 23. Now, here's how you can use it in prayer. And he says, therefore, I say unto you, because of this principle of faith, therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire. Unless it's too big. Doesn't sound like he qualifies that very much, does it? What things soever you desire, when you pray, so he's talking about prayer, believe that you receive them, the things you desire, and you shall have them. So the prayer of faith, we can see one thing right off the bat. The prayer of faith is the prayer that believes it receives when it prays. 
Or instead of saying when it prays, I think a lot of times people miss that concept. Let's say it this way. It's the prayer that believes it receives at the time of prayer. See, when is talking about at the time you pray. So it's the prayer that believes it receives at the time of prayer. Not later when it sees a result. But at the time that you pray. Now we see something else about this prayer of faith. And that is this prayer of faith that will produce the same results that Jesus produced by speaking to the tree. He said this prayer of faith is the prayer is therefore a prayer that changes circumstances or changes things. Now we'll use the word things specifically because he said what things soever you desire. He didn't say anything about people. See a lot of times people try to use the prayer of faith on other people. To make them do what they either want them to do or what they think they should do or what the Bible says they should do or whatever the case is. And they think the prayer of faith will work there. It doesn't work on people. It works on things. See, because if you pray the prayer of faith or try to pray the prayer of faith for somebody else, they may want something more different than what you want. Their desire, the things that they desire might be different than the things that you desire for them. Can you see that? So it works on things. It's the prayer that changes things. What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them. Now, we talked last week, and we'll, uh, we'll go a little bit further just to summarize momentarily, or very briefly at least. Notice that if the prayer of faith is the prayer that believes it receives when it prays, or at the time of prayer, to ask for God again for something that you already believe you receive would be in poor taste. And in fact, to ask him for it again would be an indication that you don't believe that you received it when you prayed. It'd be like your children coming up to you after you've made a promise to take them to Disneyland or something at the end of the week. And all week long they're saying, oh, mama, mama, daddy, daddy, please, 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 please take me to Disneyland. Well, you might put up with that once. But after the first or second time, you'd get tired of that. You'd say, honey, I told you we'd go. What are you begging me to go for? It wouldn't take very long at all for you to realize that your children don't trust what you said. Well, that's exactly what it communicates to God. If we pray again and again and again about something that we claim to believe that we received at the time that we first prayed. Smith Wilkesworth said this. He said, if you pray seven times uh, or eight times about any given thing, you prayed seven times in unbelief. The prayer of faith is a prayer that prays once and only once. Now, we can clearly see that this is not the only kind of prayer there is. But we've already looked at the prayer of consecration and dedication. That was the prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember the night before Jesus went to the cross. Jesus took his disciples into the garden and he prayed. And the Bible tells us what he prayed. It says he prayed, Father, if it be possible. If it be possible. If it be possible. See, some things aren't possible. You can't expect God to do some things that aren't possible. Now, I'm not talking about God doing impossible things from a natural standpoint. It would have been impossible for Jesus to be the Savior of the world without going to the cross and being separated from God, without dying spiritually. And I believe that's what he's praying about. He's praying, if it's possible for me to redeem mankind any other way than being separated from you, then let's do it that way. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. In other words, he's saying, if this is the only way, I'm willing to do it. And the Bible says that he prayed that three separate times. So he can't be praying the prayer of faith in the Garden of Gethsemane then, can he? It's impossible. He's not praying to to believe in that he receives something. He's committing himself to the Father. 
He's saying, Father, if it's possible to do this some other way, I want to do it another way. I don't believe Jesus is pulling away from the, from the pain or the suffering of the cross. I believe he's pulling away from being separated from God when he's cast into hell as a spiritually dead man. Oh, but Pastor Mike, Jesus couldn't have died spiritually. If Jesus didn't die spiritually, you can't be born again spiritually. If Jesus only paid a physical price, then you only have a physical redemption. Because he's your substitute. The Bible says Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. Jesus was not the firstborn from physical death. But nobody had ever been born again from spiritual death until Jesus. And then you and I, when we made Jesus the Lord of our lives, we were born again. We were born out of spiritual death into spiritual life or eternal life. So we see there have to be different kinds of prayer. I mean, that's the simplest example you can use to show that there are different kinds of prayer. Now, as we as I said before, we talked about some different things last week. One is the prayer of faith is the prayer that prays one time, believes it receives, and that's it. It doesn't pray again and again and again about something. But now, we know that... Uh, that the prayer of faith is identified as the prayer that you receive anything from God. James chapter 1 says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Well, asking is prayer, isn't it? Let him ask of God or pray to God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, but let him ask in faith or pray in faith. Nothing wavering. So you can clearly see from James chapter 1, that's about verse 3, 4, somewhere around there. You can clearly see from that verse of Scripture that the prayer of faith is the prayer that doesn't waver. In other words, it believes it receives, and that's the end of it. It doesn't say, I believe I receive, and then say, I'm not sure I believe anymore. I'm not sure it's working. It's an unwavering prayer. It sets its course and maintains its course. Let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for... He goes on to say in the next verse, He that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man, the man that wavers, let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. Now he starts off talking about receiving wisdom specifically, and then he moves to the principle of receiving anything or everything from the Lord. Now what is the principle whereby we receive anything or everything from the Lord? By praying in faith, praying the prayer of faith. So the prayer of faith is a prayer whereby you receive something or anything or everything from God. It's the prayer that changes things and it's the prayer that receives things from God. Now, you know as well as I do that in life, in sports particularly, whether it's baseball, if a guy's standing at the plate and he's hitting the baseball, it's not just about how the ball strikes the bat. If a man swung and hit the ball and stopped right there, then it wouldn't do anything. It wouldn't go anywhere. The ball wouldn't go anywhere. If a, if a pitcher is throwing a baseball, and he releases the ball but then stops right there, then the ball is not going to have any force behind it. If a, if a quarterback on the football field starts to rear back and throw the football, but as soon as he lets go of the football, he just drops his arm, then his pass is not going to be powerful or accurate. In golf, if a guy's swinging at a golf ball, if he stops as soon as he makes contact, then the ball is not going to go where he needs it to go. In every case, a follow-through is necessary. A follow-through is necessary. Now, if you get outside the realm of sports, we know that following through or following, following up on things is just as important as, as uh, the, uh, the intended act. For example, if you make a promise, that may show good intentions, but it's the follow-through that brings the blessing. The promise is not enough. In the same way, faith has to have a follow-through. See, praying the prayer of faith, believing you receive at the time that you pray, is like making contact with the ball. It's like releasing the ball for a pitcher. 
It's like striking the golf ball in the golf swing. But you've got to have a follow-through in order to, to make it powerful and effective. Now, what is the follow-through of faith? In other words, what do you do after you say amen to your prayer of faith? That's where the prayer battle is either won or lost. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 4. Let me show you the follow-through of faith. Romans chapter 4 tells us the story of Abraham. And the Bible says Abraham is the father of faith. In other words, it's his faith that we're supposed to imitate or emulate. And the Bible tells us, gives us some very specific instruction about Abraham's faith. Now, I'll remind you of the story. Abraham is, uh, God appears to Abraham when he's 75 years old and tells him, if you'll go where I tell you to go and follow me, I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and I'll make you a blessing. Now, making his name great means he'll make him a, a great family of him. Doesn't just mean I'll make you a great person. It means I'll make of you a great family. He says later on, several years later, he shows him the stars of the sky and the sand and says, can you number the stars? And he says, no, they're beyond number. He said, that's what your children will be like. You'll be the father of every race and tribe of people. Not that every race and tribe of people will be born of him, but every nation will be blessed of you or in you. Well, he goes on for another 24 years from the time God first appeared to him. Now he's 99, almost 100 years old. And he doesn't have that child. He has one child that happened after God told him that all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. He has one child, but it's not the child of promise. So God appears to him and talks to him about having a child in a year's time when he's 100 years old. Now, at that point in time, physically, it's impossible for both Abraham and his wife, Sarah, to bear children. She's gone through menopause. His body's not working that way anymore either. So they consider that, both of them consider separately and individually, consider it to be an impossible circumstance or impossible situation. But God speaks to him and says, there's nothing too hard for me. And a year later, they have a child. Now, the impossibility of the circumstance and what Abraham did to receive that miraculous result made every difference in you and I being able to see how faith operates. So let's start in verse 17. Here's what God said to him. And he didn't just say this when he was 99 years old. He said this to him when he was much younger. He said, even as it is written, in other words, the Old Testament, Paul is saying, the Old Testament tells us that God said to Abraham, I have made thee. Notice he didn't say, I will make you or I'm going to make you. He said, God said, I have made thee a father of many nations. Now notice the next phrase, before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Now the, the, the phrasing and the, uh, um, the King James English in this is a little bit difficult for us. So let me break it down for you. The subject is Abraham, not God. Paul is telling us about Abraham as his example of faith should, or his, as his faith should be an example to us. He wants us to see the example clearly. So he's saying this. He's saying God promised Abraham. Here's the promise God made to Abraham. It's recorded in the Old Testament. I have made thee. Past tense. I have made thee the father of nations. Now where it says before him. That's also the phrase like unto him. And what he's saying is. And here was how Abraham was like God. Here's how Abraham was like God. Now how was Abraham like him? Now notice it says like unto him. Who he believed. 
So he's saying, here's the faith or the God kind of faith in action. Here's what Abraham was like unto God concerning faith because he believed God. That's what it's telling us. It's showing us the example of what Abraham was like and what he did so that we can follow that example. As it is written, I have made thee the father of nations before him, like unto him, whom he believed. Who did he believe? Even God. What's God like? How did Abraham imitate God? Here's how God, here's what God's like. Who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Now, folks, I want to tell you something right here. Here's where most people fail in faith. Whether it's something they're believing for, whether it's something they pray about, whether it's faith through speaking or faith through praying. Here's where most people miss it in their faith. In the area of calling things that be not as though they are. And here's why they miss it. Because well-meaning Christians, honest people, somehow have in their mind, and I have no doubt because it works on this, works the same way against almost everybody. It's got to be a major work of the devil. To bring the thought, to bring the idea, the concept that to say something that you can't see to be true is lying. And so well-meaning, honest Christians refuse many times to call things that be not as though they were. Because they feel like they're not being honest or sincere or or truthful if they say it. But now let me ask you a question. Didn't it say right here that God does it? Doesn't it say right here that God calls things that be not as though they were? The example is is in the first part of the verse. God said, I have made thee the father of nations. He's calling Abraham something that Abraham is not yet physically. He's calling him the father of nations and he hadn't had any children when he says that. He says, I have made thee the father of nations, and, and Abraham and Sarah are without children. Furthermore, the Bible says that Jesus was slain from the foundations of the world. Now, that doesn't say Jesus was slain from the foundations or the beginning when God put Adam and Eve on the earth. It says from the foundations of the world. That phraseology in the original Hebrew literally means that God made Jesus, crucified Jesus, God uh, Caused Jesus, his plan was for Jesus to be slain from the foundations of the world from the beginning when God made the heaven and the earth. It was always God's plan. Now, we don't know how many years this, this was before Adam and Eve came on the earth. Scientists tell us that the earth could be billions of years old. I don't have a problem with that at all. Because that doesn't dis- disprove or discount or, or, or contradict the scripture in any way whatsoever. What we do know, however, is that man is 6,000 years old. I don't know how old the earth is. But it was 6,000 years ago that God recreated the earth, put Adam and Eve in the middle of it, and said, replenish it. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Now, he did not say populate the earth. He said repopulate the earth. That's an interesting thing for God to say if man is the first being that ever existed here on the earth. But he wasn't. See, people get all twisted up about things. Well, what about the caveman skeletons and, and the dinosaurs and all that kind of stuff? I don't know what any of that was about. The Bible doesn't give us that information. But whatever it was, it was before man. It was before Adam and Eve. Yeah, but if there were cavemen, then that must mean that there were people before Adam and Eve. Well, the Bible says when God made Adam and Eve, he said, let us make man in our own image. And the angels were flabbergasted by that statement. They were shocked. They asked questions. They said, what is man that you are mindful of him? That you'd make him in your own image. So whatever was here before Adam and Eve was not mankind. I don't know what it was. But it wasn't man. 
And yet we know that Jesus, though he was slain from the foundations of the world, whatever, whenever that was, however many years ago that was, maybe millions, maybe billions, I don't know. But we know Jesus wasn't crucified until 6,000 years after God made Adam on the earth. I'm sorry, 4,000 years after God put Adam here on the earth. Yet God said that Jesus was slain from the foundations of the world. Why is he saying that? Because he calls things that be not as though they were. Now, if God calls things that be not as though they were, and it's impossible, the Bible says, for God to lie, then how is it lying for us to imitate him? See, a lie doesn't change between God doing it or you doing it. If it's a lie, it's wrong for you and it's wrong for God too. And since God can't lie and he calls things that be not as though they were, then it must not be a lie for us to do it. Are you out there? So that may be something you need to renew your mind to, but it's a, it's a critical element in the follow-through of faith. It's a critical element for you to get your prayers of faith answered. Now, notice the other characteristic of God is that he quickeneth the dead. Well, how is Abraham going to imitate that? He can't any more than you can. We can't quicken or make alive the dead. That's something that's in God's purview. Now, somebody might say, yeah, but even we're calling things that be not as though they were. That's God because he's the creator of the universe. You're exactly right. And you're not the creator of the universe. So what are you and I going to do? Instead of coming up with our own thinking and our own words, we're going to speak God's words. Because God's word contain his creative power. You're not speaking your own words. You're speaking God's words when you call things that be not as though they were. Well, how do you know that, Pastor Mike? Because the foundation of faith is the word of God. If you don't have the word of God for what you're calling things that be not, the things that you're they're calling that are not as though they were. I know that's a confusing way to say it, but hopefully you know what I'm saying. If you don't have the word of God for that, then you're out there on your own, unsure of what the will of God is. And faith is always based on the, on the will of God. Therefore, you need to realize that since this was the operation of Abraham, and this is how he did it, God changed his name when he was 99 years old. God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. Abraham means the father of a multitude. For at least three months, assuming that Sarah carried the baby full term, nine months, then Abraham had at least three months where he's calling himself something that he is not physically yet. He's calling himself the father of a multitude, and the only child he has is Ishmael, and he did that kind of out of out of bounds on God's plan and purpose. So he's calling himself the father of a multitude. Why? Because God said he was. He's not calling himself the father of a multitude. He's not looking at himself in the mirror flexing and saying, you're the father of a multitude. He's saying it because God said it. So he's imitating God by calling things that be not, in this case himself, as if he were already what God said. He's calling himself the father of a multitude. And he does that for at least three months before Sarah ever gets pregnant. Can you see that? That's the example of faith that we're supposed to follow. Calling things that be not as though they were. Now, do you remember where we just looked at over in uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 24? Jesus said, therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Notice the progression. It's praying, believing you receive when you pray, and after that, having what you prayed for. Having what you prayed for. 
This that Abraham is talking about or that is speaking of concerning Abraham and the follow, what we've called the follow-through of faith is the period of time between believing that you receive and having. The having comes after the believing you receive. Well, what's in the middle of believing you receive and having? Calling things that be not as though they were. Do you remember over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7? It says, for we, talking about the church, the people of God, it says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. You remember that scripture? It's telling us the lifestyle. They, the just shall live by faith. Now let's plug in the Bible definitions of what faith is according to Abraham's example. For we walk by calling things that be not as though they were and not by sight. Sight stands for physical senses. We walk by calling things that be not as though they were and not by our five physical senses. Now the just, those that have been made righteous, now the just shall live by calling things that be not as though they were. You remember Hebrews 11 verse 1. It gives us another definition of faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let's put the Bible definition of faith in that verse of scripture. Now calling things that be not as though they were is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. What's the evidence of what we don't see? Our confession calling things that be not as though they were. Now, what's our confession based on? It's based on what God said. We're not saying our words. We're saying his words. Because his words are the words of with power. Now, calling things that be not as though they were is the substance of things hoped for. It's what brings things that you hope for into reality. It's what gives substance to those things in the future. The things that you're looking for or hoping for in the future come into reality by giving substance to them. And you do that by calling things that be not as though they were. What's the evidence of things not seen? Calling things that be not as though they were. Do you remember Hebrews eleven six? But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For they that come unto God must believe that he is. In other words, that he is what the Bible says, who the Bible says he is, number one. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You know, most of the church world, when they say things like, well, I just want my life to glorify God. Most of the time what they're saying, be pleasing unto God or something like that. Most of the time what they're saying has to do with right conduct, doing good works, behavior. But you can have all the good works in the world. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. The Bible teaches good works. But you can have all the good works in the world and not be pleasing unto God. Because it's faith that pleases God, not good works. Now, the Bible definition of faith is now calling things that be not without faith, without calling things that be not as though they were. It's impossible to please God. You can very well see why the devil attacks what's called confession. And what we mean by that is calling things that be not as though they were. It's one of his major areas of attack because that's the way he can keep you from two things. He can keep you from pleasing God if you don't call things that be not as though they were. And he can keep you from receiving from God. Now calling things that be not as though they were. Or without calling things that be not as though they were, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God, notice how you come to God. You come to God by calling things that be not as though they were. Do you know that's how you get saved? You confess Jesus as your Lord before he was. You confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior based on the truth of God's word the instant before he became your Lord and Savior. And in fact, it was your confession that he was your Lord and Savior, that made him your Lord and Savior. 
And that was all based on what the Bible says about the sacrifice of Jesus. Folks, faith works the same in every area. You can't receive anything from God without faith, without calling things that be not as though they were. You can't get saved without calling things that be not as though they are. You can't get filled with the Holy Ghost. You thank God when you pray to receive the Holy Ghost. You thank him for filling you with the Spirit. And you tell him you expect to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives you utterance before he ever does. And then he does. It's the same progression that Mark eleven twenty four is talking about. What things soever you desire when you pray. Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Believe that you receive them meaning can call those things that be not as though they were. And then you'll have them. Do you see how it works? Now turn with me over to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. You might want to put something here in Romans chapter 4. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. If we have time. I think we will. But notice some other scriptures that talk about this prayer of faith. And you'll very, very easily see how it applies to the prayer of faith. But maybe you'll see it in a different context now. Since we know that faith's follow through. Is calling things that be not as though they were. John chapter 15 verse 7. Jesus said if you abide in me. He's talking about relationship. In other words he's saying if you're in me. If you've made me your Lord and Savior. It's qualification number one. And second qualification. And my words abide in you. And my words live on in you. Why is it necessary for the word to live on you? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Now let's plug the Bible definition for faith in there too. Now, calling things that be not as though they were comes by hearing and hearing by the word. When you hear what the word says about your situation or about any circumstance or about any area, then it provides the means for you to call things that be not as though they were. In other words, it gives you the ammunition, God's word, to speak so that you can have what you believe for. And without that ammunition, without the knowledge... Of what God's will is in your case. Whether it's healing. Whether it's financial provision. Whatever the case is that you're believing for. Without the knowledge of that. You have no basis to call things that be not as though they were. So Jesus is saying. If you abide in me. Relationship. And my words abide in you. Then what? Then you shall ask what you will. Then you shall ask what you will. Then you shall ask what you will. Now here's the qualifier. For Mark eleven twenty four, What things soever you desire. Well does that mean we can just pray to go to the moon? Lord I believe I receive. A habitation on the moon. In Jesus name. I believe I receive translation to the moon. No. He's talking about something based on God's word. Because God's word is his will. Here's what Jesus is saying to the disciples. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Then you'll ask what you will. You'll ask what you will. Why? Because you'll know what God's will is. And if you will to to receive God's will in your life. Then it shall be done unto you. Now how is that going to happen? By calling things that be not as though they were. See John 15 verse 7 is the prayer of faith. Just spoken in different terms. And he says the prayer of faith is based on relationship with God. Number one praying to your heavenly father. Number two in the name of Jesus. And number two the word of God living on in you. Now, if the word is alive in you, then that means the just is living by faith. By calling things that be not as though they were. That means somebody that's walking by calling things that be not as though they were instead of their five physical senses. What they see and feel and hear. Here in this natural realm. 
Can you see it? Can you see the importance of calling things that be not as though they were? Can you see why there's such an attack of the enemy against this thing called confession? Confession really comes down to calling things that be not as though they were. What's our basis for doing that? What God's word says. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, verse 7, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Notice verse 8, herein you receiving what you will from the Lord, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. You know what that's saying? That's saying God is pleased when you get your prayers answered. This is the same thing that Hebrews eleven six is saying. Without faith, without calling things that be not as though they were, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe two things. Number one, that he is. He is who the Bible says he is. In other words, the words living on in him. And two, that he's a rewarder. Do you know it's impossible to please God without believing that he will reward you? Now look at where most of the church world is. Most of the church world is in the place of feeling too unworthy to have a reward from God. They're just trying to tough it through some way or another until Jesus comes. And then we'll get to heaven and God will make it all right some way or another. But God says, the word of God says, that it's impossible to please God unless you do believe what the word says about him and who he is. And secondly, that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You can't please God unless you believe that he's your rewarder. Are you out there? That's what John 15, 8 is talking about. Herein is my father glorified. God is glorified to reward you. He gets glory. God gets glory when you get rewarded by your prayers being answered. Now look at what the church world says. The church world, so much of the church world at least, says they're glorifying God in sickness. They're glorifying God in tragedy. They're glorifying God in whatever has come down the road. Blessed be his holy name. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say herein is my father glorified when you die a horrible death of sickness. It doesn't say that. It says herein is my father glorified that you bear much fruit, that your prayers are answered, that you abide in him and the word abides in you and you get answers to your prayer, that you receive from God. Herein is my father glorified that you bear much fruit. He's got to be talking about prayer fruit because he's talking about asking for what he wills. Turn with me over to 1 John. 1 John. Let's look at 1 John, uh, beginning in verse... Eh, what are we going to do? Let's go to chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Let's start in verse 13. John is writing... And he says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the the, Son of God. In other words, he's writing this to the church, to Christians. If you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, this is a personal message to you. These things have I written unto you that, that believe on the name of the Son of God. Why? That you may know you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So he's talking about believing on the name of the Son of God for salvation, first of all. Believing on the Son of God, the name of the Son of God. Secondly, for anything and everything else that God has promised. Relating to the things relating to eternal life. Now, whether you know it or not, healing relates to eternal life. Whether you know it or not, financial provision relates to the eternal life. How do we know? Because Jesus paid the same price at the same time on the same cross. To redeem you from spiritual death, as to redeem you from sickness, as to redeem you from physical, from financial poverty. Isaiah 53 says so. 
He was wounded for our transgressions. Verse 5, Isaiah 53, 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. That has to do with sin and death. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. That means he paid the punishment, the price for prosperity to redeem you from poverty. And with his stripes, we are healed. We are healed. Now, notice what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus redeemed you from spiritual death. At the same time, he redeemed you from poverty. At the same time, he redeemed you from from sickness. And it says, it calls things that be not as though they were. By his stripes, you were healed. It doesn't say by his stripes, you might be healed. It doesn't say by his stripes, he will heal you. It says by his stripes, you were healed. In other words, God's calling things that be not as though they were because the work is finished on the cross. Now, that may not yet be true for you or me. So how do we make it true for you and me? We call those things that be not as though they were. Why? Because the prayer of faith, the prayer of calling things that be not as though they were, is the means of receiving anything and everything from God. James 5, 14 specifically says the prayer of faith, calling things that be not as though they were, will heal, save, or heal the sick. How do we know that's healing? Because it goes on to say, and the Lord shall raise them up. Raise who up? Raise the sick up. From what? From sickness. So he's got to be talking about healing. So he said, these things I write unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. For two things. Number one, that you may know you have eternal life. And number two, that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. To receive anything and everything else that's a part of eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have in him. Verse 14. I believe one of the greatest things needed in the body of Christ is confidence in God. How do you get that confidence? By the words that are written to us through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost in the New Testament. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask, so he's talking about prayer. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if or since we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. In other words, we get our prayers answered. Notice he said the key to getting your, answer, your answers to your prayer is to know that God hears you. And to know that God hears you necessitates, requires that you pray according to his will. Now, that's the point where people will go back to Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Where Jesus prayed, not my will, but your will be done. Folks, he's not praying to receive something. He's not praying the prayer of faith. He's not praying the prayer of petition. He's praying the prayer of consecration. He's consecrating his life to the Lord, to the Father. He's consecrating his life saying, Father, I don't want to be separated from you. I have no question in my mind, none whatsoever, that he's, trying to, that he's drawing back from spiritual death. If it's just the physical pain on the cross, the, the whips, the, the beating on his back, the crown of thorns, the, the spear in his side, and all that kind of stuff hanging on the cross and the suffocation and the suffering involved with that, Jesus wouldn't have batted an eye. But that's not what he's drawing back from. He's drawing back from the three days between his death on the cross and his resurrection. Because the Bible says that he suffered the punishment of the unrighteous dead during that time for all of mankind. See, if Jesus didn't pay that price, somebody still has to. In order for you and I to get to heaven, somebody's still got to pay that price. If Jesus just paid a physical price, then we can have physical blessings and benefits just like Abraham had here on the earth. But nobody's done anything about our spirits yet. But the fact that the new birth or the new covenant is about being born again is proof positive that Jesus did something spiritually. 
and not just physically on the cross. This is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know, or since we know that he hears us, we know we have what we've asked for. So the key is to know that you're praying according to the will of God. How are you going to know the will of God? Folks, God's word is his will. You find out what his will is through his word. And that's exactly what John said, in John, that Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will. Why? Because his word abiding in you reveals the will of God. You shall ask what you will. And it shall be done unto you. This is the confidence that we have in him. This is the confidence that we have in him. One of the, the I, folks, I didn't see this, but a couple of years ago. And I've read this stuff over and over and over again. But you know as well as I do, you can read a book and see something new in it almost every time. I was reading after Wigglesworth. Some of the things that Wigglesworth said. And it struck me. I don't know how in the world I missed this, but I missed it for years. Twenty-something years. But a couple of years ago, I saw how that Wigglesworth would go into a meeting and encounter unbelief on the part of the people. And he would challenge them. And he would say things like, you don't think it's possible for us to pray and God not hear us, do you? What kind of boldness does it take to have that kind of confidence? Believing this verse of Scripture. This is the confidence that we have in him. This is the confidence that Wigglesworth had. That if we ask anything according to his will, then he hears us. And if we know he hears us, we know we have what we ask for. Folks, it's impossible for the word of God to fail. That means it's impossible for your prayer to fail if you've prayed according to the word. If you've brought God's word, God's promise back to him, it's impossible for your prayer to fail. I'm glad you're excited about that. I understand those are good sounding words, but boy, when they dawn on your heart, when your eyes are open and you really see, whoa, wait a minute. Because see, the devil tells you all the time, same thing he tells me, same thing he tells everybody. Your prayer is not working. Your prayer is not working. It's impossible. If you're speaking the word, if you're calling things that be not as though they were, it's impossible for your prayer not to work. It's not a question anymore of if it's working. It's an assurance. Of course it's working. The devil's not big enough, strong enough, or powerful enough to keep it from working. But it's all in the follow-through. Folks, anybody can pray the prayer of faith. Anybody. The real test is, are you going to follow through? The real test is, are you going to follow through? Are you going to call things that be not as though they were until you have them? Now, once you have them, you don't have to call things anything anymore. You don't have to believe God to come to this meeting. You know you're here. I don't have to believe God for $100 if I've got $100 in my pocket. Once you have it, you have it. It's the end of faith. But between the time that you pray the prayer of faith, believe that you receive the things that you ask for when you pray, and say amen to that prayer, the follow-through of faith until you have the things in your hand or in your possession or in your life, the follow-through of faith is to call things that be not as though they were. Now, do you remember that I said we were going back to Romans chapter 4? Let's close up with that. Close up with, uh, turn back with me to Romans chapter 4. 
Again, it's talking about Abraham and his operation, his belief, his example of faith. We'll start in verse 17 again. Even as it is written in the Old Testament. Here's what God said. Here's the promise he made. I have made thee a father of many nations. Like unto him. Abraham was like unto him whom he believed. Even God. Here's how Abraham was like God. He calleth things that be not as though they were. He wasn't like God in quickening the dead. Abraham doesn't have that power any more than you and I do. But here's what God's like. God calls things that be not as though they were. And Abraham followed his example in that. We're supposed to follow Abraham's example. Who against hope. In other words without any natural circumstance to hope in. Believed in hope. Well where do you get that kind of hope? The hope that he had was that he would become the father of nations. But where did he get that kind of hope? According to that which was spoken. So shall thy seed be. In other words. His hope was not based in what he saw or felt. Or the circumstances that surrounded him. His hope was based in one thing and one thing only. And that was what God had said about him. Even though it was an impossible situation. Even though it was physically impossible. Absolutely physically impossible. He hoped in what God said. And being not weak in faith. And being not weak in faith. We could plug in the definition of faith here. And being not weak in calling things that be not as though they were. He considered not his own body now dead. In other words he didn't let anything keep him from calling things that be not as though they were. Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Now, let me show you that phrase, draw to your attention that phrase, strong in faith, giving glory to God. He was strong in calling things that be not as though they were, giving glory to God. Giving glory to God. Now this is not talking about just living a life of praise. See there is a distinct and separate prayer of worship and praise. That's not what this is talking about. This is not talking about just praising God out of a joyful heart and, and, uh, and, and so forth. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking specifically about giving glory to God relative to his promise. Because it attaches the next verse, verse 21. And being fully persuaded that what God had promised he was able also to perform. In other words, he's giving God glory according to what God has promised. So what's one means of calling things that be not as though they were? Thanking God for the answer before you see it. Thanking God for the answer before you see it. It's one means, it's one method, it's one way to call things that be not as though they were. Thank him for the answer. Oh, thank you, Father, that I'm healed. I don't care what the doctor says. I don't care what my body says. I don't care how I feel. I don't care what I look like. Thank you that I'm healed because of the word of God. Thank you that I'm healed because by Jesus' stripes, healing was made available to me. That's what he's talking about. That's what the giving glory to God is. And notice that's a characteristic of strong faith. He was strong in faith. He was strong in calling things that be not as though they were. He was strong in being like God by calling things that be not as though they were. How was he strong? By giving God glory concerning to what God had promised. And notice the connection with being fully persuaded. The more you call things that be not as though they were, the more you become persuaded that, it, that they are. You want to know why people are weak in faith? Because they're not calling things that be not as though they were. They're going back and forth. They're being wishy-washy. They're wavering. And James said, don't let that man that wavers think that he'll receive anything from God. 
That's what Paul was talking about when he wrote to the Hebrews. Chapter 10, he said, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. The profession of calling things that be not as though they were. In other words, don't let, follow Abraham's example. Don't let anything keep you from calling things that be not as though they were. Don't let how you feel keep you from saying it. Don't let how you feel keep you from calling things that be not as though they were. Don't let how you look keep you from saying what God's word says. Calling things that be not as though they were. Don't let your bank book keep you from calling things that be not as though they were and God calls you rich. Do you see it? Folks, faith is the simplest thing there is. It's the hardest thing for some people to grasp. And I think the reason for that is because they don't commit themselves to it. But once you do, once you jump in the deep end and say, okay, here's what the Bible says. God said for, I, for me to follow Abraham's faith, here's what Abraham did. So here's what I'm going to do. You need to understand something, folks. I hesitate to say that the prayer of faith is the most important kind of faith because if they weren't all important, God wouldn't have given us different kinds of faith. However, there is no comparison when it comes to the things that the New Testament says about the different kinds of prayer. There is much more said about the prayer of faith than any other type of prayer. Well, since the prayer of faith is the prayer that changes things, it's the prayer that receives from God. God must want you to receive from him. He must want you to have power here on the earth to change your circumstances just like Jesus changed his. Now, why does he want us to have that? Well, two reasons. Number one, God is glorified when you get answers to your prayers. God's glorified when you receive from him the things that Jesus purchased. But the second thing is this. So that you, so that you can learn how to get your needs met so that you can move on to help other people. Jesus is not coming back for a church that's sitting there saying, God, do for me, do for me, do for me, do for me. Jesus is coming back for a glorious church that's saying, thank you, Father, for doing for me. Now I'm going to go do for somebody else. You'll never get there if you don't understand the prayer of faith, the principles of faith, and how to call things that be not as though they were. And, folks, that's part of the glorious church. That's part of what makes the church glorious. People came to Jesus because they saw his relationship with God. God wants people to see your relationship with him too. Jesus had an inroad to be able to tell people about God because they saw God in him. God working for him and God working through him. What do you think is supposed to be for us? Exactly the same. But without calling things that be not as though they were, it's impossible to please him. Let's pray.